have your Bibles, turn with me to John chapter 4, and we'll be reading verses 19 through 24. Amen. I don't know about you, but this has been a hard week. It has been, it has been a struggle <laughs> uh, trying to get through this week, um, but God has kept me thus far. And then even though I went through the fire, I didn't get burned and went through the waters, I didn't drown because the Lord was with me. Amen. When you have John chapter 4, verse 19, say amen. John 4, verse 19 says, The woman saith unto him, Sir, I perceive that thou art a prophet. Our fathers worshipped in this mountain, and ye say that in Jerusalem is the place where men ought to worship. Jesus saith unto her, Woman, believe me, the hour cometh when ye shall neither in this mountain nor yet at Jerusalem worship the Father. Ye worship, ye know not what. We know what we worship, for salvation is of the Jews. But the hour cometh... And now is when the true worshipers shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father seeketh such to worship him. God is a spirit, and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. I want to read verse number 22. From there I'll primarily be taking my thought. And I want to emphasize this point. Jesus says unto the woman, Ye worship, ye know not what. We know what we worship. For salvation is of the Jews. Today I have a question for you, and that is simply this. Do you know what you worship? Do you know what you worship? Now this question may not mean very much to you at first, but as we we dive into this topic, I believe it's going to have profound meaning to you. Now I will warn you that there's a lot of... uh, reading and background I'm going to have to give in order for us to properly uh, exegete this text, but I just ask that you bear with me as I lay out the case. This is what I like to call an airplane message, uh, where if you ever got in an airplane and you're on the runway, you're kind of sitting there for a while, and uh, you're taxing down the runway, and, and it seems like you're never going to leave, you're never going to take off, and then suddenly there's this burst of acceleration as the engines come to life and they roar, and before you know it, you're up into the stratosphere, uh, so or atmosphere, I should say. And this message is going to be kind of like that. We're going to be taxing on the runway for just a little bit. But don't worry, we'll we'll take off. We'll we'll take off soon enough. But I wanted to to really emphasize this question. Do you know what you worship? Uh, We're going to enlist the aid of the Holy Spirit as we embark upon this message. Uh, I'll be honest with you, I'm exhausted. (laughs) I I got nothing in the tank, in, in, in the flesh, physically, so... Uh, I'm, I should do this anyway, but we're relying wholly on the Holy Spirit uh, to, to communicate this word and for his spirit to have uh, preeminence in this place. And I believe that people can be delivered. We can find some restoration in this message. Let us pray today. Father, we thank you and we bless you. God, we just worship you, Lord. We pray that we our posture will be that, O oh Lord Jesus, of true reverence, true, Lord God, respect of your name, of your presence that is here. And I pray, O oh God, in the name of Jesus, that your spirit would bless this message. Empower me only as you can. Fill my lips, Lord Jesus, with your words. Let your spirit penetrate our hearts. Convict us, O oh God. Challenge us. Change us. Lord Jesus, hold us accountable. Bring us to an altar of repentance. Help us to get a true revelation of what worship really is and to encounter you, the, the just one, the one and only true living God. We thank you and we bless you and worship you. And in Jesus' name, let the church living God say, Amen. You may be seated. As I was saying, there's going to be, be a bit of some background for us to fully appreciate what is going on in this text. Uh, turn with me to 1 Kings chapter 12, verse 26. 
First Kings chapter 12, verse 26. And we're going we're gonna to have to go back quite a few ways. I'm going to try and cover about 900 years worth of history in about 15 or 20 minutes. Uh, so I'm going to try and condense this as best as I can. But you need this background to fully appreciate what's going on in this text. So 900 years prior to the event that we're seeing when Jesus is talking to this woman, there was a civil war that was happening, a civil split that happened in the kingdom of Israel. That Israel was under the leadership of King Rehoboam, who was uh, the, uh, Solomon's son. And that there was a dispute regarding his leadership and the kingdom of Israel split into two kingdoms. Ten tribes went to the north and there were two tribes tribes that stayed in the south. And so Israel now was in two different uh, uh, sections. You had the northern kingdom, which had the ten tribes, and the southern, southern kingdom, which had Judah and Benjamin. And in the northern tribes, the northern ten tribes, God had ordained a particular king. His name was Jeroboam. And the fact of the matter is that Jeroboam, he wanted to maintain control of those who had now come under his kingdom. And the, the fact of the matter is that although King Jeroboam had the majority of the population in his kingdom, King Rehoboam, who was the king of Judah, had the capital city with the priests and the temple where all the feasts and worship of God took place. So King Jeroboam, who was the king of the northern tribes, came up with a plan to prevent his citizens from defecting and returning now to the king of Judah, which was King Rehoboam. First Kings chapter 12, verse 26. And Jeroboam said in his heart, Now shall the kingdom return to the house of David. If this people go up to do sacrifice in the house of the Lord at Jerusalem, then shall the heart of this people turn again unto their Lord, even unto Rehoboam king of Judah. And they shall kill me and go again to Rehoboam king of Judah. Whereupon the king took counsel and made two calves of gold and said unto them, It is too much for you to go up to Jerusalem. Behold thy gods, O Israel, which brought thee up out of the land of Egypt. And he set the one in Bethel and the other in Dan. So here we have now, Jeroboam is now just starting his kingdom and he wants to make sure that his power is secure over his population, over his citizenship. He does not want his citizens to return back to the king, king Rehoboam who's in Judah. And so he comes up with a plan to manipulate the population. He had to manipulate particularly one feature and that was the structure of their worship. That if you notice in the text that we just read, it was the, the, uh, the idea of the worship because all of the worship was centralized in Judah. He had to attack, he had to manipulate the, the structure of their worship because it was the foundation of their entire society. The entire Israelite, Israelite society revolved around the, the worship of Yahweh and Jehovah from the way that they dressed, from the way that they spoke, from the foods that they ate, the way that they planted their crops, were all to remind themselves that they were separate unto God and they were separated unto Yahweh in worshiping him. And so because Jeroboam understood this, he said, if I can change and alter the, the structure of worship, I can gain control of the population. So what worship dictates who we are and what we do. What you worship, what you idolize, what you fixate your, your attention on and esteem to become like and aspire to become like, you will become like. What you lavish your investments, your energy, your time, your efforts into, your worship into, you will emulate and become just like it. And so he set up 
uh, idols in two locations, in Bethel and also in Dan. Psalm 115 verse 4, the writer of the psalmist describes those who worship idols. It says, their idols are silver and gold, the work of men's hands. They have mouths, but they speak not. Eyes have they, but they see not. They have ears, but they hear not. Noses have they, but they smell not. They have hands, but they handle not. Feet have they, but they walk not. Neither speak they through their throat. They they that make them are like unto them, so is everyone that trusteth in them. When you change the object of your worship, you are changing your self-image and your identity. And Jeroboam understood that. So to do this, he did five things. Firstly, he changed the object of their worship, conflating the identity of Yahweh with that of idols, the two golden calves. And even so, the devil has directed people away from the God of the Bible so that he can control the population of this world. Our worship, our understanding, our aspirations, our ideologies, the things that that we in the world want to do or people in the world want to do, they worship the gods of, of money and sex and drugs and pleasure and the things as they worship those things they emulate those things they worship the rappers they worship the actors they worship the celebrities they want to cop their style speak like them dress like them because they are worshiping them once you shift the object of worship you're now shifting your uh, ability to to derive identity and self-understanding so secondly, so first he changed the object, but then secondly, he changed the history or the reason for their worship. And the fact of the matter is he says that these two calves, these golden calves that I've made, these are what brought you out of Egypt. He's now rewriting history and changing the reasons behind why they are even worshiping the object that they're worshiping. Yahweh, Jehovah, didn't necessarily bring you uh, Israelites out of bondage and out of slavery from Pharaoh. It was not Yahweh that parted the Red Sea. It was not Yahweh that brought about the ten plagues. It was these two golden calves that I've set up in Bethel and Den. I'm now changing the reason and the history behind why we worship, why we dress the way we do, why we speak the way we do, why we go to church. I want to change the reason, the history behind why you're doing what you're doing. And the fact of the matter is Satan wants nothing more than for you to give the credit to anything but God when you are in trouble. The fact of the matter is Satan wants you to think that when you got through a trial that it was not God that did it. It was these two golden calves that you set up that got you through. It was your education. It was your your strength. It was your wit. It was your good looks and your charm that got you through this. It was the Prozac or the psychologist that you went to. No, it was the grace of God that carried you through. It was God who brought you through the trial that if it had not been for the Lord who was on our side, we would have been consumed. That it was God's mercy. It's because of God's mercy that we are not consumed. His compassions, they fail not. Great is his faithfulness unto us. That the next breath that I'm taking is because of God's grace. It was God that brought me through. It is the devil who wants to give all of the credit to man's own wit and his own ideology. That it was not an intelligent creator that made everything. It was nothing that exploded and suddenly spread all the particles of the universe. And they somehow formulated into, the, into intelligent beings and creatures called human beings and animals and mountains and planets and, street and trees. All came from nothing. We will do anything to, to give credit to something else other than God. These are, are the gods, O Israel. These calves that I've set up, this is what brought you out. This is where you come from. This is the reason why you worship. And this is the thing that you worship. Thirdly, 
He changed the place of their worship, Bethel and Dan. The place that they were supposed to go worship was in Jerusalem. That's where the, te- the temple was. That's where the priesthood was. But instead, he then changed the place of worship from Jerusalem to two places, Bethel and Dan. And he said it because it's too much for you to go to Jerusalem to worship and to sacrifice. Why don't you instead come to these places? These places are closer. These places are convenient for you. These places are nice and makes you feel good and makes you feel comfortable it's too much to live holy it's too much to go to church it's too much to sacrifice and go out of your way to try and make it to heaven why don't you come to this other place it's got nice seats got a nice preacher that will tell you good things and tickle your ears and make you feel like you're righteous when you're living in sin and on your way to a devil's hell why don't you come over here to Bethel why don't you come to Dana why don't you come on by come on down and see what God has for you and worship these idols and these things that I have for you that we don't want to impose upon you God's requirements of holiness. We don't want to impose upon you God's requirements for righteousness and righteous living and the hatred of evil and the forsaking of sin. Instead, come to Bethel. Come to Dan. Don't go to Jerusalem. Don't go where it's authentic. Don't go where it's real, where there's real conviction and the real word of God is clearly taught and preached. Come to Bethel. Come to Dan. It's convenient. It is easy. We want a, we want a religion that's convenient and easy. We want a, a microwave blessing with no prayer, no fasting and no consecration. We want stuff that's convenient. The fourth thing that Jeroboam changed is that he changed the leaders of their worship. So he changed the leaders of worship by appointing false priests. First Kings chapter 12 verse 30. 1 Kings 12.30 says, And this thing became a sin, for the people went to worship before the one, even unto Dan. And he made a house of high places and made priests of the lowest of the people, which were not the sons of Levi. He took common folk. He took the bum off the street and said, why don't you be my priest and, and handle my worship and facilitate worship and the sacrifices in my high places, in the places where I do my sacrifice. He appointed false priests, priests that God did not authenticate, priests that God did not anoint, priests that God did not call or ordain. And even still, we have false priests even in today in the church. God did not call some of these preachers uh, that are preaching foolishness and nonsense, uh, preaching that which is contrary to God's word. God did not anoint that. God did not appoint that. God did not authenticate that which is contrary to his word. Why? Because we want some that's convenient. They were not of the lineage of Levi. They were not true high priests. They were common folk. The low, he, said, he chose the lowest of the people to be his high priests. To lead him in his worship of God. And it's, it's so interesting that we see in this day and age, we choose the worst type of people, people with no integrity, people with no character, to lead us in worship, to pastor us and preach to us. You'll go on the tell on, uh, turn on the TV and turn on the radio and let people sow into your spirit and your soul who have no integrity because they're charismatic, because they're good looking, because they got a good budget and a laser show and a smoke screen or whatever. They, they can placate your conscience and tickle your ears. We'll choose the lowest of the people who are not sound in doctrine, preaching doctrines of devils uh, and leading people astray to a devil's hell. Fifthly, Jeroboam, he then made a counterfeit feast and events like the proper ones to facilitate and focus this false worship. First Kings 12 verse 32. 
And Jeroboam ordained a feast in the eighth month on the 15th day of the month, like unto the feast that is in Judah. And he offered upon the altar. So did he in Bethel, sacrificing unto the calves that he had made. And he placed in Bethel the priests of the high places, which he had made. So now he's got even festivals and feasts that are similar to the worship of God, but are not are dissimilar enough because they're worshiping these false calves. And we have, we have false worship services. You think you're worshiping God. You're not worshiping God. You're worshiping, worshiping the worship leader. Or you're worshiping the music. Or you're worshiping something else. He's got it all set up. So now that they were now directed towards something false. Everything about Jeroboam's kingdom was a counterfeit and became known, uh, and became known as a different kingdom. And this was used to manipulate the hearts of his citizens so that he could maintain control over them. And he did this simply by changing their worship. He did this by simply changing their worship. And now the name of this region that King Jeroboam was in charge of became known as the area of Samaria. And we find this out because God sent a prophet to curse the altar that was in Bethel. And Bethel was, of course, where one of the golden calves were. First Kings, third, uh, First Kings verse, chapter 16, verse 23 I'm sorry, verse uh, 32, I'm sorry, First Kings chapter 13, verse 32. For the saying which he cried by the word of the Lord against the altar in Bethel and against all the houses of the high places which are in the cities of Samaria shall surely come to pass. God cursed this particular place the, and, this, and the, the altars were set up in Samaria. And the region of Samaria, it got its name from its capital city which was called Samaria. Now, fast forward now. We're going to go forward now 200 years. I know we're still on the highway. Y'all have no idea. Where is he going with this? We're still on the highway. We're getting ready. We're, we're taking off soon. Just wait. 200 years later, because of Israel's idolatry, the northern kingdom of Israel, also known as Samaria, was captured by the king of Assyria. And their citizens were moved from the land, and he, and he then replaced all the people that were living in Samaria with these other foreigners that he had captured from other lands. He moved them from these other lands and put them in the region of Samaria and completely removed the children of Israel. Second Kings chapter 17, verse 22. Second Kings chapter 17, verse 22. I want you to see this here. For the children of Israel walked in all the sins of Jeroboam, which he did. They departed not from them until the Lord removed Israel out of his sight. As he had said by all his servants, the prophets, so was Israel carried away out of their own land to Assyria unto this day. And the king of Assyria brought men from Babylon and from Kutha and from Ava and from Hamath and from Severim and placed them in the cities of Samaria instead of the children of Israel. And they possessed Samaria and dwelt in the cities thereof. Now the thing is, because they were there and they were not familiar with the worship of God, God sent lions in there and started tearing all of them up. The lions began to attack them, and the, the people that were living there started to figure this out, that something ain't right here. <laughs> Where did all these lions come from? And they began to, to understand that we have, we're not honoring the God of this land, is what they say. Uh, verse 27 of this same text, 2 Kings chapter 17, verse 27. Then the king of, of Assyria commanded, saying, Carry thither one of the priests whom you brought from thence, and let them go and dwell there, and let him teach them the manner of the God of the land. Then one of the priests whom they had carried away from Samaria came and dwelt in Bethel, and taught them how they should fear the Lord. Howbeit every nation made gods of their own, and put them in houses, the houses of the high places, which the Samaritans had made. Every nation in their cities wherein they dwelt. So now they call for a priest to come teach us, okay, teach us how to worship this God so he'll quit sending lions to attack us. We're kind of getting sick of the lions coming out. So the thing is, the king of Assyria says, okay, let's get one of the priests from the land. So they sent a priest from Bethel. Now the thing is, 
A priest from Bethel was not a true priest. He was a false priest. He wasn't a Levite. And he was familiar with these two calves. They've been worshiped at Bethel and, and, and also in Dan. So what do you think? He taught them. He taught them how to fear these idols. And then called it saying, you're fearing the Lord. Right? You're fearing the Lord. So these people who had become the new Samaritans continue worshiping the gods while merging corrupt, a corrupted version of Judaism. And they basically were doing the same things that the previous Samaritans had done. They created a new counterfeit form of worship where they honored the true God while still worshiping false gods. Now look here in verse 32 of this same chapter, 2 Kings 17 verse 32. Look what it says here. So they feared the Lord and made in themselves of the lowest of them priests of the high priests, which sacrificed for them in the houses of the high places. They feared the Lord and served their own gods after the manner of the nations whom they carried away from thence. They feared the Lord, but they were still serving their own gods. Yes, I'm coming to church. I pay my tithes. I I shout hallelujah, but I'm still serving my own gods. I I put on a, a show of religiosity. I look like I'm holy. I look like I'm right. Righteous. I show some fear and some sort of due uh, penance unto God, but I'm truly still serving the gods I really want to serve. They feared the Lord, but they served other gods. That's what these Samaritans were doing. But they didn't have a true fear of God because they were, of course, one, worshiping something that was false. And secondly, the practices had been corrupted by the uh, previous Samaritans. Now, over the next 200 years, the Jews would, who had invaded the Assyrians intermarried with these foreigners. After the Babylonian exile of Judah, Ezra comes back to a ruined city of Jerusalem and temple, and he begins to rebuild this temple. And when he does, the Samaritans come and say, hey, we want to help you guys rebuild the temple that was destroyed by the Babylonians. Look at Ezra chapter 4, verse 1. I'm going somewhere with this. Ezra 4, verse 1. Now when the adversaries of Judah and Benjamin heard that the children of the captivity builded the temple unto the God, Lord God of Israel, then they came to Zerubbabel and to the chief of the fathers and said to them, Let us build with you, for we seek your God as ye do. And we do sacrifice unto him since the days of Esardon, king of Ashur, which is another name for the king of Assyria, which brought us up hither. But Zerubbabel and Yeshua and the rest of the chief of the fathers of Israel said unto them, Ye have nothing to do with us to build a house unto our God. But we ourselves together will build unto the Lord our God of Israel as King Cyrus the king of Persia hath commanded us. Then the people of the land weakened the hands of the people of Judah and troubled them in their building. Them in building. So the fact of the matter is these, these fake people, these Samaritans who are worshiping false gods but, and also saying they're fearing the Lord want to put their hands on the temple and help them build. They say, we serve the same God you do. But the Israelites, the Judah, uh, the people of Judah, they understood that know the God that you're serving is not the same God that we're serving and that, that there should be no fellowship between God what is holy and what is nasty and disgusting and what is not of God and they said you're not putting hands on our temple we want nothing to do with y'all so these Samaritans got upset and they said started, they became the enemies they became the enemies of Ezra and also Nehemiah who was rebuilding the temple and rebuilding the wall of Jerusalem and eventually they got so jealous that they decided to build their own temple that was exactly like the one that was in Jerusalem. They even had their own Ark of the Covenant. They had their own one because why? They wanted to compete 
And they wanted to, again, this mixing, this counterfeit. If you notice throughout this history of this area, it's an area of counterfeit. It's an area of merging the sacred with the secular. It's, a, it's an area of redirecting the true worship from God over to something that is false. It's throughout its entire history. So they made a counterfeit temple in Samaria. They made their own version of the Torah of the Old Testament, the first five books of Moses, their own Ark of the Covenant. And as the years pass, the religion takes on a new form, free of the paganism and the idolatry that they were in. So now they're getting away from the idol worship, and they're focusing more on the worship of Jehovah. And it now takes on a new type of counterfeit. 400 years later, we come now to the time of Jesus. And in the time of Jesus, these Samaritans had some very interesting things. As I just stated, they had their own Torah, and the thing is, they only believe that the Torah, or what the first five books of the law, which would be Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, was the only Bible there was. They rejected all the prophets. So from Deuteronomy onward, they said, that's all false. We ain't, we're trying to hear all that. We only will listen to the first five books of Moses. And there's only one prophet, and that was Moses. So you cut out like a good chunk of the Bible. It's just gone. They just don't even accept that. They say, that's false. Why is it False. Or, or why do they say that it's false? Because the prophets, and also what's called the writings, shows that the worship of God was supposed to be in Jerusalem, and it shows that their practices were fake and faulty. So they didn't want to accept any of that. It shows that David was the true king of the nation. It shows that the Messiah going to come through him. They didn't want to accept all that stuff. They were not going to stick with this. And then they also believed that the worship of God was not supposed to be in Jerusalem, but was supposed to be on a mountain called Gerizim, which is the place where Moses pronounced blessing when they were coming into the promised land. Now, with all of that background, I know I just gave you a lot. The plane's about to take off a little bit. Let's go to John chapter 4, verse 3. John chapter 4, verse 3. Jesus, he left Judea and departed again into Galilee. And he must needs go through Samaria. Jesus is traveling through this region that is known for the counterfeit. He's traveling through this region that is filled with these Samaritans who do not accept the entire Tanakh or the entire Old Testament, the prophets and the writings, who only say that Moses was the only true prophet and that our Torah, our word of God is actually better than yours and they worship in a different temple. And Jesus is now traveling through this area called Samaria. Verse 5, Then cometh he to a city of Samaria which is called Sychar, near to the parcel of ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Now Jacob's well was there. Jesus therefore being wearied with his journey sat thus on the well and it was about the sixth hour. There cometh a woman of Samaria to draw water. Jesus saith unto her, Give me to drink. Now, here's the thing, folks. This intertwining that happened with the Samaritans was more than just the religion, was also in the natural. That what happened when the king of Assyria removed the people from the land, some of the Israelites managed to escape and stay behind. And as they stayed behind over the hundreds of years, they intermarried with these other nations and created people that were half Jewish and half something else, with half Judaism and half something else. Everything was mixed. And because of this, and because of their rejection of the temple in Jerusalem... And their rejection of all the other scriptures, there was animosity between the Jews and the Samaritans. They rejected all of these things. Verse number 8. For his disciples were gone away into the city to buy meat. Then saith the woman of Samaria unto him, How is it that thou, being a Jew, 
ask this drink of me, which am a woman of Samaria. For the Jews have no dealings with the Samaritans. I want to give you some context here about how much the Jews did not like the Samaritans. When Jesus is being accused by the Jews about who he is, who his father is, they say, have we not said that he is a Samaritan and has a devil? That's what they say in John chapter 8. They equated being a Samaritan with being a devil. That's how much they thought of them. They hated them. The Pharisees, whenever they're traveling north to Israel, would take a completely different route to try and avoid that entire area. They go miles and miles out of the way to have no dealings with them. They despise them. There was animosity between these two people groups because we had the true and we had the false. So Jesus then explains to her, that if she knew who she, who she was talking to, she would be asking him for water because whoever drinks of the water that he gives will never thirst again. He then begins to speak into her life and he then tells her that she has had five husbands and the one who she now has is not her husband. He begins to expose her business and get down deep to the true issues that are going on. This is the first time that Jesus is now dealing with the Samaritans. He's dealing with this counterfeit culture that is there. He's engaging with them. And so after he says and say, look, you're, you've had five husbands and the one that you're with right now is not your husband. Verse 19, go to verse 19 of John chapter 4. The woman saith unto him, sir, I perceive that thou art a prophet. Our fathers worshiped in this mountain, notice that the crux of her, of her argument in dealing with Jesus is that where we worship, we worship in this mountain. And ye say that in Jerusalem is the place where men ought to worship. Now here's the thing. Jesus just exposed her lifestyle. Jesus just put her on blast. And the very first thing she begins to do is deflect the situation and to focus on a religious argument about where we worship. Why does she focus on worship? Because worship, as I said, is the foundation of this entire culture and this entire society. And so what she's saying here is, even though I may have some issues from my past, I at least know where to worship. Mr. Jesus, Mr. Prophet. Yeah, I've had five husbands. And yeah, the dude I'm kicking it with ain't, ain't my husband now. But at least I know where to go to church. But you don't. You go to the wrong church. Let me tell you something. God is not concerned necessarily with where you're going to church. But are you living a lifestyle that's worthy of being in that church? He's like, it doesn't matter if I got issues. I'm in the right church. Right? I worship at the right. Our fathers worship in this moment. But you say, you're supposed to go to church over here. You're supposed to do your worship over here. Why? Because again, worship was the foundation of their entire society and their entire lifestyle. But now Jesus, he about to flip the script right here. Because he, he completely confronts the Samaritan ideology and he shifts the argument. Verse 21. Jesus saith unto her, woman, believe me the hour cometh when ye shall neither in this mountain nor yet at Jerusalem worship the Father. He's like, guess what? It doesn't matter which mountain you're worshiping at. It doesn't matter which mountain you worship at. The time is coming where things about this ship, where it doesn't matter if you're in Jerusalem or if you're at Mount Gerizim or if you're in Galilee or wherever you are in Assyria, where it doesn't matter. It's not going to matter the location. Ye worship, ye know not what. 
we know what we worship for salvation is of the Jews. He then attacks the heart of the argument. He said, you are focusing on the location of the worship. Well, the true argument is, what are you worshiping in the first place? Your entire history is about counterfeits. Your entire history is about giving glory to something that is not of God. Your entire history denies the law, denies the prophets and say, there's nobody else. You're denying all the writings of the prophets that says that I am the Messiah. You're denying everything. You have a false or a faulty um, a misconception of who God is. And the reason why Jesus is saying this, because in order to worship, you must have revelation. Because the fact of the matter is that anyone can praise God. The Bible says in Psalm 150, I believe in verse 6, that let everything that hath breath praise you the Lord. The only prerequisite for you to praise God is that you're able to exhale and inhale, that you're able to respire, that you're able to breathe. As long as you've got breath in your lungs, guess what? You're eligible to praise God. But not everyone can worship God because worship requires revelation. Because you need to understand what worship is. That worship is not giving God glory because of what he has done. It's not saying, God, thank you for my car. And God, thank you for my house. And God, thank you for saving my soul. That's praise. That's all good and, and, and fine. But worship is getting a revelation of understanding of how amazing how good God is that it puts you onto your knees in reverence and saying my God my God how great thou art that puts you in a place of complete humility that puts you in a place of complete submission unto God and he says look here baby let me tell you something that you've got it all wrong you think that worship is about where you go to church but it's more than that it's about the object of which you're worshiping you don't even know what you're worshiping Ye worship, ye know not. We worship because we know we worship for salvation is of the Jews. We have the entire picture of who God is because we take the entirety of scripture because we understand that is progressive revelation going through the scripture starting from Genesis all the way to Revelation. God was unveiling his divine attributes and his divine characteristics that from Genesis he is called El Shaddai, the almighty God. He is called Elyon, the most high God. He's called El Olam, the everlasting eternal God. But as we go through the scripture, we find it in Isaiah, in the prophets, Isaiah 9 and 6. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulders, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. There's so much about God you don't know about, and because you don't know, you cannot truly worship him. Verse 23. But the hour cometh, and now is when the true worshipers shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father seeketh such to worship him. God is a spirit, and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. You need revelation in order to worship. One of the reasons why the church has lost true, bona fide, humble worship, sincere, intense worship, because it has lost revelation of the holiness and the majesty and the greatness of God. They think God is just your homeboy that you kick it with. No, I serve a God who is so holy and so high. He humbles himself just to behold the angels that are in heaven. I serve a God who is eternal, who has no beginning of days, nor ending of days, who is the first and the last, who is the alpha and the omega. He's not just your homeboy. He is God almighty and he needs to be treated as such. 
The psalmist said in Psalm 8 verse 3, when I consider thy heavens, the work of thy fingers, the moon and the stars which thou hast ordained, what is man that thou art mindful of him, and the son of man that thou visitest him? For thou hast made him a little lower than the angels, and crowned him with glory and honor. When David began to consider the majesty, the greatness of God, it brought him to a place of worship. Said woman, you don't know what you're worshiping. I ask you the question, do you know what you're worshiping? Because true worship will bring you to a place of complete reverence and humility. It will bring you to a a place of complete humility. And in that place of humility, God is able to move and God is able to deliver. Because God resists the proud, but he gives grace unto the humble. We see throughout the narrative of scripture that people, when they came to Jesus with a need, they came worshiping him. We see in Matthew chapter 8 verse 2, And behold, there came a leper and worshiped him, saying, Lord, if thou wilt, thou canst make me clean. And Jesus put forth his hand and touched him saying I will be thou clean and immediately his leprosy was cleansed in Matthew chapter 9 verse 18 we see Jairus who had a daughter who was sick and was dying he came unto Jesus and it says while he spake these things unto them behold there came a certain ruler and worshipped him saying my daughter is even now dead whenever you get into worship you put yourself in a position of helplessness you put yourself in a position of trust you put yourself in a position of faith so God is able to move in your life we see throughout the scripture as they worshipped him they got deliverance as they worshipped him they got the answers that they needed because they got a revelation of the God that they serve when I understand the God that I serve I should fear no evil I should fear no mountain I should fear no foe no enemy no devil no problem when I understand the God that I worship the God that I serve it puts you in a place to receive the miraculous When you understand who you're worshiping. Do you know who you worship? Where is all of your effort and your attention going to? Where do you derive your identity? Where do you derive yourself? Is it from the, from the world? Is it from a celebrity? Is it from a movie? Is it from a song? Is it from your career? Is it from your education? Your economical status? From which do you derive these things? What is you giving your devotion to? Do you know what you worship? Because if you do, you'd worship the Father. Not only in spirit, but also in truth we're going to worship the father in spirit and in truth let's stand I'm quitting Matthew 28 verse 16 I close with this last thought when Jesus resurrected from the grave He appeared unto his disciples. And the disciples were a little bit surprised, (laughs) to say the least. They didn't think he was coming back. We I know we get on Thomas's case because you know he doubted, but all of them doubted. All of them were like, he ain't coming back from this one. Even though Jesus said, I'm coming back. They didn't buy it. Look at this. Matthew 28, verse 16. Then the 11 disciples went away into Galilee, in the mountain where Jesus had appointed. And when they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. Some doubted. Is that really Jesus?
Is he really the Messiah? Is he really the one who can save us from our sins? Is that really him? Am I hallucinating? Because I saw him crucified. I saw the nails in his hands. I saw the hole in his side. I saw all these things. Is that really him? And so they started to worship him, but some were like, I'm not so sure about this. And maybe that's you. You're coming to church. You're trying to worship, but you're, you're doubting whether this thing is real. You're wondering whether or not this thing can be true. I want to lay to rest those concerns that the God that we serve most certainly is Lord over heaven and earth and that he alone has the ability and the power to save. What's interesting about the Samaritans is as, as messed up as they were, Jesus went to the Samaritans to show them the true worship. And if you read through the book of Acts, that's a revival started. It started in Samaria in Acts chapter 8 where Philip went down and preached the gospel to them and he baptized them in the wonderful name of Jesus Christ. And then he called Peter and John and Peter and John came and he laid hands on them and they began to be filled with the wonderful gift of the Holy Ghost because they got a revelation of who Jesus truly is. When you get a revelation of who Jesus truly is, he becomes that to you and he is able to deliver you out of the hands of the enemy. Don't be worshiping and doubting. The word in the Greek for doubt, it can also mean to hesitate. I'm not so sure about that. The music starts starting like, uh, not sure I should. And you're thinking about all the mistakes you might have made yesterday and thinking that you're unworthy. But Jesus is saying, I'm come to make you worthy. You don't have to doubt. Do you know who you worship? Do you know? Do you have an understanding? Are you fearing the Lord and you're serving other gods? You're mixing the sacred with the secular. You're getting involved with the counterfeits and other things of that nature. And God is calling the church. He's calling to the Samaritans. It's time to abandon these other gods. Because no man can serve two masters. He's either going to love the one or hate the other. It's time to remove any idolatry, anything that's holding us back from really having a true relationship with God. God is seeking for true worshipers, people who can get a revelation and understand how amazing he is. But that only will come whenever we seek him with all of our heart and all of our soul and all of our strength. Do you know who you worship today? These altars are open. If you want to come and give yourself at the altar... Give yourself over to Christ and become a true worshiper, worshiping in spirit and truth, understanding that he alone is able to forgive you of your sins. He alone is able to save you. He alone is able to rescue you. These altars are open for you today. Hallelujah. You can give your life to God. You don't have to be stuck in Samaria, stuck in a Samaritan type of situation where you're straddling the fence between the sacred and the, sec- and the secular, where you're worshiping the false and worshiping the fake coming to church and singing and saying amen and then going out in the world and doing your own thing God is calling the Samaritan he's calling the Samaritan now to acknowledge who the true God is it's not about the location it's about the object what are you worshipping who are you worshipping because Satan wants nothing more than to change and flip the script and put our focus on the wrong thing to put our focus on the things of this world instead of the true God that Satan, as, as, uh, the, the scripture says that Satan, he's the God of this world and he blinds the minds of them lest they should believe the glorious gospel of Christ. 
And the Holy Spirit is here now to open our eyes that we can see God. Because when we fully see him as he is, see his characteristics, his beauty, his love, and his goodness, his grace, it will bring you to a place of reverence and bring us to a place of humility where we can fully depend on him. I'm going to pray and pray for those that are here at the altar. But I want us just to take a moment to just worship him. I know we we worship throughout this service. But the Lord is calling us to true worship. Think of one aspect about God's character, about God's nature, and marvel at it. Think of the fact that God is holy and God is righteous, but yet God became man and took upon our sins. That's, that's amazing. That God who is infinite became finite. That he's, he's the good shepherd, but he became the lamb of God. That this, this dichotomy, that he's the bread of life and he's the living water. Think of all those things and let that prepare you to a place of worship and say, Father, I cried unto you. I submit myself unto you. I surrender myself unto you completely and totally. Come into my heart. Change me. Help me to change the object of my worship and the things of this life and to put it on God alone. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Let us pray today. Father, we thank you. We thank you for your spirit. We thank you for your goodness. We thank you, Lord Jesus. And right now we worship you. We acknowledge you as being the only sovereign God, as being the creator of all things. Lord, we reverence you. We exalt you. We lift you up and bless you to receive all strength and glory and worship and honor. Right now we bless you and we submit ourselves to you. We humble ourselves to you and we thank you and glorify you. And right now, even as I speak, Lord, let your spirit go across this congregation. God, bless them, oh Lord Jesus. Touch their hearts. God, convict them. Help us to get rid of the idols. Help us not to be like the Samaritans to be fearing you and be fearing something else. Help us to abandon all things and put them, oh God, in your hands. In Jesus' name, hallelujah, right now. Thank you, Lord. Right all over this house, just begin to worship him. Begin to worship him. Begin to glorify him.